Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank our praise team. Thank our, our men's quartet. Thank uh, all of you for taking part in worship. And I pray the Lord's honored and glorified. I mentioned to Kyle last night. I, I thought of that song and, and all the miracles that he's done for us here at Mountain View. And simply because we're willing to trust him. And that's one of my favorite songs. I like to sing that from time to time or hear it from time to time. And just uh, to let us know that uh, God's working and God's leading and uh, we just need to trust him as a, as a fellowship of believers and also as, uh, as individuals. If you brought your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings. Going to look in the Old Testament, 1 Kings. And we're going to be... We're going to be in, uh, we're going to have maybe one verse in, in um, uh, chapter 17, but primarily 1 Kings chapter 18. If you'll find that book, we're going to spend most of our time there. And uh, I want to share a sermon with you that I've simply entitled, It's Time to Decide. It's Time to Decide. Several years ago, I had an opportunity to go to Israel, and one of the, I guess one of the things that one of the sites I was able to, to, to go to was Mount Carmel. And Mount Carmel is a huge mountain. And a, uh, a battle took place there. You remember, battle with uh, Elijah and the 850 prophets of Baal. And while I was there, I made a picture of Elijah. Um, and that was just a remarkable place to go on top of that mountain and think about 1 Kings chapter 18 and... That's what's so neat about going to, to Israel is that uh, everything just comes alive that you read in your Bible and uh, all the places, your maps become so important to you. When you get home, man, all those things, all those places and the maps uh, are so, they become familiar to you, more familiar because you've been able to go there and to visit. But one of my favorite places while I was there next to Mount Calvary or Gordon's Gordon's Calvary or Gordon's tomb uh, was to go to uh, uh, Mount Carmel. And so I want us to look at what took place on Mount Carmel this morning. So if you would, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and just want to pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for a time that we can come together now and worship you in hymns and praise songs. And, and Father, now to open your word and I pray that you'll speak to our hearts this morning. I know that you will. Allow your spirit to go from chair to chair, person to person, deal individually with us and also as a church family. And Father, help us, Lord, to realize that there are decisions that we need to make in our lives. We don't need to postpone those. Lord, as it relates to our spiritual condition, our spiritual growth, uh, Lord, we just pray that we'd be willing to, to trust you and go with you and know that you're going to work everything out. If we commit ourselves to you, whatever it is, Father, help us to say yes to you. It's never wrong to say yes to you. So speak to our hearts this morning as we look at this part of Scripture, Lord, where a decision's called for, and we're calling for one today. You're calling for a decision today from each person that's here this morning. So help us to be honest with ourselves as we step forward and make a decision for you today. Thank you for what you're going to do. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, if you're taking notes, we're just going to begin with point one, and I just put the background. I'm going to share just a few, I'm going to share some thoughts, a lot of thoughts, really, about the background of what's taking place uh, in 1 Kings chapter 18. So the background, Elijah meets this guy by the name of Ahab, and that's in chapter 17, verse 1, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But the background is Ahab is the, is the king of Israel, and of course, you remember his, his beautiful, his lovely wife, perhaps in appearance, but not in personality, not in character. And her name was Jezebel. I know none of us have named our children Ahab or Jezebel. There's a reason for that. But Ahab was the king of Israel. And Ahab and his wife Jezebel had completely demolished everything that had been made great previously before him. Everything that had been made great in Israel, they kindly demolished or destroyed. And at that, with that being said, remember he was the king. He was the king of Israel. He was over God's chosen people, and he was a very brutal person, and his wife also. And uh, as you would walk during this period of time, as you would walk through the valleys of Israel, you could see images of false gods. You could see the images of uh, Azeroth, and you could see the images of Baal, and they were stationed here, they were stationed there, and then you could see the temples of idolatry that were erected everywhere. All these pagan temples, these false gods, uh, Azeroth and primarily Baal, they had these temples and statues everywhere when you'd walk through the Holy Land there in Israel. Then at the same time, as you were seeing those temples and statues, you would see the altars of God. And the altars of God had been torn down, and they had been broken down, and they had not been repaired. And everything looked hopeless, and everything seemed to look like evil had won at that particular time in that society. And then in chapter 17, verse 1, all of a sudden there's this lightning bolt, that, that strikes, it appeared, and this lightning boat is a person. The person's name is, is Elijah. He's one of the most talented individuals that you'll find in the Bible. Look at chapter 17. All of a sudden, and Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, so all of a sudden, all of this idolatry and bells, and uh, Asheroth temples and statues were everywhere and all this false worship was going on. All of a sudden, the man of God appears. He was a prophet. He was a preacher. He was a political uh, reformer. He was a miracle worker all at the same time. Everything that he was composed of was going on at that period of time. And he had this one conviction about him, and that conviction was God. Yahweh, Lord, capital L, capital L-O, capital O and R and D, Lord. And when you see all caps, that's referring to Yahweh. That's referring to Jesus. And so all of a sudden, this, the messenger of God, the messenger of Yahweh, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, Elijah appeared on the scene, and he had this conviction that there was only one true God, and all other gods were false gods. And so Elijah had a message to give to Ahab, and it was a very brief message, and it was a very forceful message, it was a very timely message, and it was a message about judgment. 
And he gave this message without apology. He gave this message without any conditions. He gave this message without any compromise. So standing before Ahab in the king's court, he delivered God's message. And look at the second part of verse 1 there, chapter 17. This is the message. As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And so the point is the judgment of God had been foretold by the prophet of God. And so for three and a half years, it didn't rain there in Israel. And Ahab, Ahab, you know, in chapter 18, look at chapter 18, verse 17. You'll find where there's another visit. So when, when, Ahab, when uh, uh, Elijah made this uh, gave this prophecy, he just turned around and walked out of the court. And of course, he went to the brook of Shirith, and, and there's another story about while he was there, but if you'll just pass by that, you'll find that he comes back to Ahab in chapter 17. I mean, in chapter 18, I believe it's verse, verse 17. And then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And so Ahab, uh, Elijah comes back to him. And when he, they say, hey, there's a guy here who wants to see you, and his name is Elijah, no doubt, he thought, my goodness, what's he wanting now? And so when he confronts him, he said, you're just a troubler of Israel. You're ju you're just, you just make trouble for Israel. And he said, I know you nothing more but as a troubler. Isn't it strange isn't it kind of ironic that when things are in a mess, that the godly gets the blame for it? Isn't it kind of strange and ironic that when things are in a mess, preachers get the blame for it? Isn't it kind of strange and ironic that when our nation is in the mess, the right gets the blame for it? Or the extreme right gets the blame for it? But notice, in a very quiet and calm voice, after Ahab said, you're just a troubler of Israel, just in a very calm voice. Look at verse 18. And he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and you, you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you followed Baals. And now therefore, verse 19, therefore send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so what happens there? He said, hey, in a very quiet, calm voice, he said, I've not made trouble for Israel, but you and your fathers and your families have. You've abandoned the Lord's command. You've forsaken and you followed after Baal's. And then he gives a challenge. And that challenge is found in verse 19. I just read. Look at it. Now, therefore... Send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. So what you have, you have, secondly, he presents a challenge. And what he does in this challenge, he wants them to determine if God is real or if Baal is real. Who do you serve? Do you serve God or do you serve Baal? And so he's going to ask them that question. Therefore, in verse 19, go to Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Azra, who eat at Jezebel's table. And he says, gather them all to me, gather Israel to me. Look at verse 20. 
So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? Some translations say, How long will you halt between two opinions? That word halt means to, it really means to hop on. Have you ever played, older people, have you ever played hot? You remember, do you remember playing hot, hopscotch? You remember that? Play hopscotch. Anybody played hopscotch? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, we got some jumpers in here. We have. And I don't know if the younger ones have played hopscotch, but this is what the word halt means. You get on one foot, and then you hop over on the other one, and you hop over on the other one. He says, why do you go back and forth, back and forth, halting, wavering, to God, away from God? Are you with me? Why are you trusting God some days and not trusting God another day? Why are you faithful to God today and you won't be faithful to God tomorrow? Why are you halting between two opinions when it comes to your relationship to God? Don't halt. Be sound. Be forceful in what you're doing. Are you for God or are you against God? So make a note. Here's the scene there on Mount Carmel. Here's the saying, you have 850 false prophets of a false god, Baal. And then you have one lonely prophet there on, there on Mount Carmel. And he's a messenger of God, Elijah. One who's willing to take a stand from God for God when no one else there, those other Israelites would not. They were worshiping Baal. Remember, the altars are torn down related to God. They won't take a stand for God. And he's the only one willing to take a stand, the only one willing to confront the corruption and the ungodly. And then you have 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. And then you have all of Israel there, but you have this one prophet. But then you have all of Israel there who, who's nothing more than an undirected mob. They don't know who to follow, Baal or God, Baal or God, God or Baal, God or Baal. All of them are there. And those that were there of Israel, they knew God's law. They knew his statues. But they were uncommitted to what they knew God wanted them to do. They were uncommitted. They were undecided. They were halting on one side, then on the other side. They were wavering. Sounds like many people today who profess to know God but they're not committed. Now they'll tell you they know God. They'll take God's side for a while, then they'll hop to the other side. They'll take God's side for a while, and then they'll hop to the world for a while. Back and forth, back and forth. But when you do that, something happens. God speaks to you. That's the third point. God speaks to you when you're wavering. Has God ever spoke to you when you knew you were wavering? And being committed to God. Has he spoken to you? Elijah comes into all the people and he said, How long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. Verse 21. But if Baal be God, follow him. And what happened to the people? They answered, verse 21. They answered not a word. And say anything. They wouldn't answer anything. 
Listen, God speaks to you when you're wavering. Now, some of you perhaps may be undecided in regards to about being saved. You, you know, God's convicted you, convicted you that you need to be a Christian. And so you may be undecided about being saved. You know, this happened to a, a person in Acts chapter 24. His name was Felix. He was a, he was a governor. In Acts chapter 24, verse 25, listen Listen to, um, listen to the conversation Felix had with Paul. He says, and now, speaking of Felix, as he reasoned about righteousness, he's thinking about righteousness Paul had preached, and he's thinking about righteousness, verse 25. Now as he reasoned, Felix reasoned about righteousness and self-control and judgment to come. Judgment's coming, Felix knew that. We know that. You know that. Judgment's coming. And Felix was afraid. He was afraid when he heard about righteousness, when he heard about judgment, when he heard about self-control. He was afraid to make a decision. And he told Paul, he said, listen, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. He wouldn't make a decision. And we have no listing nowhere in the New Testament where we know that Felix ever came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He never made that decision as far as we know. He had thought about righteousness. He thought about judgment. He, he was troubled about it to the point that he was afraid. But yet he would not say yes to Jesus. Some of you are the same way perhaps. You know about righteousness and unrighteousness. You know about judgments coming. You know what death is coming. You know all of that, and you're afraid, but you've yet to make a decision for Jesus Christ. God speaks to you in regards to being saved. God speaks to you in regards, perhaps, number two, in regards to baptism. Some of you have prayed and you've asked Christ to come into your life and save you, but you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. All of you perhaps have seen a baptism. It speaks of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But not only that, it's the first testimony you give as a believer that I've died to sin and I've been raised new in Christ Jesus. It's your testimony. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we follow up with that confession through a public confession of baptism. It's, what, it's a picture of a, a burial. And that's why the Bible says in the Great Commission to go out and, and, and preach the gospel and baptize in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost. And we're commanded to baptize, but as a person saved, you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Not to be saved, but because you are saved. As a testimony of what you believe about Jesus, he died for our sins, he was buried, he arose again. i am died to my sin, I've been raised new in Christ. One day I'm going to die and be placed in the cemetery. My body's going to be laid to rest. My spirit's going to be with the Lord. And then when Christ comes back for the body of Christ, for the church, I'm going to be raised. It's all symbolic of what I believe about God and what I believe about myself. And so today, if you have truly been saved, you should follow the Lord in believer's baptism. That's the first testimony as a believer. Make sure it matches up 
with your profession of faith. Make sure you're saved. So the Spirit speaks to you. God speaks to you about, your, about being saved. God speaks to you when you're trying to make a decision about baptism. God speaks to you when you're undecided about being a member of a church, this church perhaps. You've been saved, you've been baptized, you maybe moved into the area, you attend in this church, but you're not an official member. Yes, I will. No, I won't. Yes, I will. No, I won't. Yes, I will. No, I won't. No different than the pagans there on Mount Carmel. And that's what God's Word is sharing with us. If God be God, follow Him. And some of you are undecided about commitment to serve in the church. Commitment to serve in the church. You know, I, I know there's some that I can call on that'll do anything, anytime. Not for me, but for the church. All I do is pick up a call, phone. You think you could do this? Would you be willing to do that? Is there any? And they're hot, they hop right. But there's some people I know not to call. Isn't that sad? Some people I cannot call because their commitment is so shallow, I'm afraid to call on them. The point is, there are many interested in the church, but not committed to the church. Many interested in the church, but not committed to the church. So the question is this, Brother Samuel, what's the difference between being interested in the church and committed to the church? Let me share with you what that is. When you're interested, interested in doing something, you do it when the circumstance permit it. Uh, I want to go fishing. But I can't go tomorrow, i got to go to work. Circumstance don't permit it. Or I want to play golf, or I want to mow grass, or, or I want to go shopping, or I want to do this or this. And I do those things if the circumstance permits it. Now, that's when you're interested in doing something. I'll help at the church, I'll go to church if I don't have something better to do. Or if I've got to do something and I can't go to church. But when you're committed in doing something, you accept it with no excuse, looking for the result of it. That's commitment. Interested, if I can work it in my schedule, if circumstances permit. Committed, sure, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it. Whatever I have to do, whatever I have to change, I'll do it. I'll do it. And so he speaks to us about our salvation, speaks to us about our baptism, speaks to us about being a part of a local church, speaks to us about serving him. He speaks to us. But number four, and I'm about finished, God calls for a decision. So he speaks to us, and when he speaks to us, he calls for a decision. Here's the point. God's sick of our excuses. He's sick of our excuses for not attending church. Sick of our excuses for not worshiping when we get here. Sick of our excuses for not serving in church. Sick of our excuses for not studying His Word, for praying, not being a part of inreach, checking on those inside the family of God, or outreach, being a witness, inviting those outside these four walls to be a part of God's family. The point is, God's looking for those who will be committed to Him and to His church. 
Yes, I will. No, I won't. Yes, I will. No, I won't. Make a decision one way or another. If God is God, follow God. If God is not, follow Baal. But you can't straddle the fence. That's the whole lesson. If God be God, serve Him. You can't straddle the fence. Luke chapter 16, verse 13 says this. 16, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one, love the other, else he'll be loyal to one, and he'll despise the other. Luke chapter 11, verse 23. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. You're either with God or without God. You're on his side or not on his side. Can't straddle the fence. Are you straddling the fence this morning? So first you have the background. Elijah meets Ahab. Then Elijah presents a challenge to determine the real God there in verse 19. And God speak, God spoke to them. He speaks to us about different things. Baptism, salvation, baptism, uh, serving in the, being a part of a local church, serving the church. Then he calls for a decision, 21, the be part of that. And, and what did it take for Israel to decide to be, to follow God? If you would, look at verse 25. What did it take? Now, here's, here's what happened, and I'm going to read this. I think we need to. So look at verse 25. First uh, Kings chapter 18, verse 25. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves, prepare it first. Now this is, this is the demonstration. He's going to demonstrate who the real God is. Ba God, Yahweh, or Baal. And so he goes through this process. Get your sacrifice, prepare it uh, for you or many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. And so... They, they did what he said to do. Then they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. Remember, he's a false god. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, uh, for he, if he's a god, either he's meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey. Or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. Verse 28, they cried aloud and cut themselves as that, that was the custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. Look what all they were doing trying to prove their God was real. Verse 29, midday was past, still nothing. No time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. There was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. And Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So all the people came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And he took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two sets of seed and and he put the wood in order and he cut the piece bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and and said fill water pots with water and they poured all they poured it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood they wet down the sacrifice the wood he said do it the second time they gave it a set second wait uh, wedding and he said do it the third time and they did it the third time verse 35 so the water ran all around the altar and also filled the trench and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice 
where they normally would have an evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you're God of Israel and I'm your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Hear me, O God, hear me, that these people may know that you're the Lord God and you have turned their hearts back to you again. And then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt offerings, the wood, the stones that turned to dust, licked up the water that was in the trench, and now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Isn't that amazing? Now, let me ask you the question. We read what all they had to do to prove their God was real. Now, what did Israel have to do? What did Elijah do? You know, Israel... They, they, they saw what happened when Elijah did what he did with preparing the sacrifice and everything, uh, you know. And so they said, they just cried out, God is the one true God. God's the one true God. I guess what I'm trying to say, what's going to convince you that God is God? And you need to follow Him and you need to commit your life to Him? and you need to serve Him and serve His church, what's it going to take for you to make that commitment in your life? Oh, I do it sometimes, but then I'm back in the world some other times. You see, this morning, we don't have to build an altar. We don't have to dig ditches around it. You don't have to fill those ditches with water and lay dead animals and soak it three times and pray for God to send fire and dry up the ditch and consume the sacrifice to convince you that there's one true God, all I have to do is point to that cross. That's all I have to do. And if that's not good for you to commit yourself totally, totally, completely to God, there's nothing else that'll get you to do it. If the cross won't get you to do it, nothing won't get you to do it. So which side are you on this morning? Are you on his side? If God be God, follow him. If God be God, follow him. Today, some of you need to truly come to the cross for salvation. And crowd in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because there's, there's God. Israel's love was divided between God and Baal. And because of the God, because of that, God sent a drought for three and a half years. And as a believer this morning, you may have a drought going on in your life right now. You may, you may have a spiritual drought. I've had them in my life. A spiritual drought in my prayer life, in my Bible study, in my service, in my attendance. Just dry, dry. In my giving, dry, dry. You may be going on in a spiritual drought right now. You may have a, you may be, you know, when, you, when you're in a spiritual uh, drought um, and, 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 and you don't have any inkling to serve the Lord and be at church and read the Bible and study. Friend, listen, you're in a drought. You're in a spiritual drought. But you also may have a physical drought with your job, with your finances, with your children, with your marriage. You say, Brother Samuel, why the drought? Why, why am I in this drought? Let me tell you why you're in the drought. 
It's because of your divided loyalty. That's why you're in the drought. Because the drought ends, you notice that? The drought ends, point five in the close. Look at verse 46. First Kings chapter 18, I'm finished. 46 says, And that happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and the wind, and there was heavy rain. And so Ahab rode away, and he went to Jezreel. After, after they said, God is God, we will follow God, the drought ended. Isn't that neat? After they confessed who God was, the drought ends. And so here's the question I'm going to end with. Are you ready for the drought to end in your life, in your spiritual life, or maybe in your physical life? If you are, say yes to salvation. If you want the drought to end in your spiritual life or physical life, say yes to baptism. If you want the drought to end, say yes to membership to this church. If you want the drought to end, say yes to a commitment to serve. And your drought will end. But you have to choose sides. There's a choice made here this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to take your word. And Lord, your Holy Spirit has spoken to our hearts this morning about the seriousness of making a decision for you. And Father, we just can't go back and forth. And I pray that's the message that we received this morning, that we have to, we have to stay fully committed to you. Not to be saved, Lord. We're not served by our works. You tell us in your word, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not of works, least a man should boast, but we serve you because we are saved and we love doing it. Lord, I, I want to die. I want to die serving you. I don't want to die serving the world. I want to die serving you, being faithful to you, serving you by serving your church and serving my fellow man. Lord, I want to die serving you. And Father, I pray for each person here that today decision will be made. They'll step forward and they'll choose sides. I'm going with God. And I'm making that commitment today. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.